Hello and welcome to Eavesdropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And we've seen American Animals, which is a uh, heist film, um, mainly narrative drama, but elements of documentary. Mm-hmm. Um, a British-American co-production. The writer-director is British, and he was he's uh, was a documentary maker before this. He made a film called The Imposter, which, which I've seen. you've seen. I haven't, but it's got it's it's very very well regarded. The Imposter. It's a French guy who cons his way into America by oh, right. taking the identity of this missing kid. That's right. Yeah. Which I, so I've not seen that, but yes. um, people like it a lot. No, it was very interesting. It was really great, actually. It was kind of. You know, uh, fascinating in terms of these questions of identity and uh, um, uh, self-presentation and legal presentation and you know, kind of desires of being and and the film kind of slipped through, you know, kind of um, well, things remained undeterminate at the end until the end. Yeah, kind of mm-hmm. there were all these doubts. You know, so there were doubts at the beginning, but there was also this wish for this person to be who he said he was and. You know, kind of those conflicting things, kind of made for a narrative that kind of seemed seemed to slightly change as it unfolded, and which you know this has some some similarities with this. Right. Uh, well, I want to see the imposter. I have wanted to see it for a little while, but I've forgotten about it. Um, the director in question is Bart Layton. Um, so, uh, this is based on a true story. Well, it's quite funny. The film the film starts off in a very playful way. It says on screen, "This is not based on a true story." And then it, it blanks out a few words, and so it says, "This is a true story." Yeah, and it's it's it plays with, uh, plays with your expectations quite a bit early on, because then it cuts to a load of footage of, uh, from out of the out of a car window, looking at the side of a road as you drive past, but it's all upside down. Yeah, so you're going, "Ooh, what's going on here?" Yes, um, I uh, thought that was very that was a very interesting way of of beginning because, you know, you're watching these images upside down. And yet they're very composed and beautiful and, you know, and I was thinking, oh, how interesting it is to make something strange like that and make you look at it in a new way. Yes. I thought that was an interesting way of beginning. I thought it was a fantastic way of beginning and as the film went on, it, be- it felt more and more superficial to me. Mm. Um, but let's just quickly say what it's about before we get into talking about that sort of thing. Uh, it's, it's a true story, uh, theoretically. <laughs> Of these four guys who were four, uh, three of whom were students at Transylvania University in Kentucky, and one of whom was their mate. Who actually, no, he was a student as well. Um, he was on a, a scholarship there. Sorry, um, four students uh, who were at Transylvania University. Yes. Uh, and at Transylvania University is a, a library where a number of rare and old, uh, valuable books are kept, mm. um, guarded by just one librarian. This this woman. Uh, BJ, her real name, what her her full name is, uh, Betty Jean Gooch, played by Anne Dowd, who is in Hereditary and she's in Handmaid's Tale. She's really good. Mm. Um, the 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 one kid played by uh, Barry Keown, who I've previously mispronounced as Barry Keegan. He's Irish. His name's Barry Keown. He was in Dunkirk and he's in The Killing of a Sacred Deer, mm. which we both find interesting yes um, and he's great he's, he's, a, he's a really idiosyncratic sort of presence on screen he's very memorable yes um, he's got very sad eyes you know like uh, there seems to be very sad eyes that there seem to be something behind them mm. it's just he's got a very interesting kind of sad pensive look yeah. you know um, he's an art student and on a, a tour of the library with his class 
he's really taken by this enormous uh, tome, uh, which is the which is the Birds of America by John James Audubon, who's famous for being the founder of the Audubon Society. Or, or is he the founder, or is it named after him? Either way, yeah. the Audubon Society is about the Birds of America, which is the book that he went out into. Uh, the kind of wilderness and painted all of these birds and it was a foundational sort of art and um, and kind of natural history text and they have a copy of it and it's incredibly rare um, he mentions this to his mate Warren who's the, the, the guy on the sports scholarship who's a bit of a waster um, it, they sort of discover that one of these is worth 12 million dollars mm. and they start hatching a plan very vaguely sort of semi-seriously to steal the thing um, it becomes more and more serious as time goes on you're never quite sure exactly how sort of uh, one of the things the film's playing with is how much they are playing and how much they really mean it because there's a lot of imagining that they're going to do a, a perfect Ocean's Eleven heist and they play one in the film mm. they play this this single take beautiful uh, beautifully sort of orchestrated thing where we're going to go in here, we're going to take out the library, we're going to pick up the books, we're going to do this, and all in one shot to Elvis' uh, uh, little less conversation. Yeah, you know. So and then of course that's a great bit. There's the imagination, then there's the reality, and and um, these things come into conflict. It's worth saying that you know they make a comment about how nobody offers a guide to heists. Um, there's no how-to book. But actually, there are dozens of films, yeah. right? And they kind of, you know, they show they, us all, all... They work their way all, through a load work, of heist movies. Yeah. Um, uh, and th- this is a major kind of theme of the film. Yeah. Is um, uh, kind of media, media influence on, uh, on, on them. Um, so that's what we'll say before getting into spoilers. But if you are aware of the real life story, this is a spoiler, um, then you will be aware that it didn't really come off. Well, it didn't come off. It didn't come um, off. And they ended up going to jail for seven years. Yes. They managed to make their way into the stairwell with a couple of books and then dropped them and ran. Yes. And the books have made their way back into the possession of the library and it's fine. Uh, they've been to jail and the film catches you up at the end with where they are these days. Yes. Um, and the film uses... It, 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 while it plays a, a pretty straight drama with actors portraying the characters, it also has talking heads with... Um, the real the people. real people describing their memories of what was yes. happening. Yes. And I thought that was one of the interesting things about the film and also I thought it was one of the lacks or one of the faults because I had this very weird thing where all of the real life people seemed to me to be much more interesting and charismatic than the actors playing them. Okay. You know, particularly the two leads actually. Uh, I thought that the real uh, uh, um, what's his name the, the, the person who Barry Keon played uh, Spencer Reinhardt I thought you know he seemed much more interesting than the character that Barry Keon was presenting to us uh, you know much more thoughtful and articulate and pensive you know uh, and also you know with a very interesting look of his own and likewise the athlete jock who you know is the one who's the driving force uh, yeah. behind it Warren Lipka played by Evan Peters yes I thought uh, Warren Lipka was you know kind of had a much more interesting look and you know came alive on screen much more vividly hmm. than uh, Peter uh, Evan Peters Evan Peters first thing I had to do was ch- was check whether they were actors or not because I wondered if that was another layer of kind of performance I, I didn't, so I didn't know if they were, were actors as it because t- I thought especially those two 
I thought they are they seem so accustomed to performing and being on screen yes. that um, it doesn't quite make sense that they are not performers. Exactly. Well, and to me, they, they just were um, more interesting, more interesting looking. And what they were conveying was much more interesting mm. than, than the actors playing them. So I thought immediately that's a, f- that's a flaw with the film. I think of this, the film is kind of two films take together, and I don't think successfully. I think there is a version of the film which is a straight documentary done with these guys telling their story. Mm. And there's a version which is a straight drama played mm. by actors. Yes. The film combines the two and I think it's unsuccessful because I don't think one shed light, sheds light on the other successfully at all. And I think it's, it's a... This is what I mean by superficial. I, I think it is a pointless exercise. Yes, I, I, I think it's meant to shed light because obviously... You know, on the one hand, you have the real events. On the one hand, you have the fictionalized events. Uh, point of view is underlined in each of those moments. I, so it's this person's version of events, mm. that person's version of events, the film's version of events, and the film's version from this point of view, and the film's version... Mm. But, yeah. But actually, I do think that it's kind of a formal game that doesn't add much. I agree with you on that. Um, the, the film, before the film... Uh, gets to the the real heist. There's, there's a failed heist before that. Uh, before the film gets to the real heist, though, which is where things get quite serious and quite well real, um, it's doing an awful lot of of this kind of formal gamesmanship of of um, going back and forth between who remembers what. There's there's a there's a tension between what uh, Warren remembers and what um, Spencer remembers, and it's done through. Uh, you know, they were meeting a guy in New York, yes. and uh, he says he had a blue scarf, or was it purple? And on screen, you see the guy meeting, and, and the scarf changes colour from blue to purple. No. And then he goes, "No, actually, the, you know, the other guy goes, no, no, actually, it was it was, a, it was an old guy with white hair." And so, the footage that you've seen rewinds, yes. and the the guy you've seen is now replaced with this old guy. Yeah. So there's, and it makes for jokes uh, quite a lot of the time, and, and there are there are, there is wit to it, but. Um, the, the the sort of what it's going for in terms of what the truth is of the story and, and and making us question how much of this is true and 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 where the truth kind of lies uh, it felt like it didn't illuminate anything mm. to me that wasn't really what was interesting about the film well the film sets up but the it scenes on it. quite clearly at the beginning so it begins kind of with two images quotes right so on the one hand it shows us the John James Audubon book, mm. right? And then it also starts with this quotation. Is it from Adam it's, Smith? It's from Darwin. Oh, it's from Darwin, from, right? The origin on the origin of the species. species, yeah. It's a quote along the lines of, um, American animals uh, must have migrated and blah, 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 something about living in caves in Kentucky. Right. So, you know, so those are the two things that kind of bound the film. And in a way kind of the, 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 the search that it sets you out, or the, you know, the kind of the main narrative through fair is obviously one about kind of American masculinity, mm. you know, as illustrated by these four men in this place, you know, and they're all middle class, they're all kind of, you know, I mean... Yeah, it's a very specific... Uh, American masculinity because it's white and middle class. And educated. And educated. And right. I mean, the, the one guy in particular, Warren... Uh, I thought he was a dropout until, until that scene where he's 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 in the principal's office or whatever he is, saying 
you know, and he says you're here on a sports scholarship. I never see you doing any sport, but you're here on a scholarship. So that's you know, so he's got this level of privilege probably beyond the others who you have no idea whether they're on scholarships or not, but he definitely is. And he's well, abusing it and wasting it and doesn't want it to be there. They're all from the same background, yeah. Um, you know, so they're all kind of middle class, from middle class to a little bit more than that, because one of the characters in the film, you know, who's the bodybuilder and who you knows always doing exercises and who ends up later, you know, uh, having become a personal fitness instructor, writing a book on you know, personal fitness in jail, yeah. <laughs> right? You know, you're told that he's always on the make and he's making money and he's like a yuppie go-getter. Yeah, young entrepreneur. Yeah, young entrepreneur. So that's that's the background. And I think it's important, really, because, you know, in the present American context, these were all kind of very privileged people. And on the other hand, kind of what they find is that the life that they're leading is not the life that they feel was promised to them. And, you know, the, the film has a line at the end, which I think is very banal, saying, you know, you're constantly told you're special and wonderful and then you realize basically, you know, that you're not. And so, you know, this whole heist is a way of kind of making their life more interesting and kind of more vivid and, mm. you know, having an extraordinary and transformative experience, really. Uh, and of course, kind of what, uh, what's interesting about it is that they see a transformative and exciting experience as only a criminal one. <laughs> right. If you can, if you can uh, imagine all kinds of things that one can do, mm. yeah, to have kind of a transformative experience. I mean, there are, there are a million things that one can imagine from doing that. Like, and in other generations, for example, it would have been to go fight in the civil war in Spain, or to join the communist party, or you know, to travel the world, or you know, mm. like yeah, or you you to to. To set up a library. I mean, there were, you know, historically there have been many, <laughs> yeah, like history is full of kind of people imagining transformative experiences in their lives that involve contributing to society. This is purely about robbing, robbing. <laughs> well, so the, and I think the film is making a comment on that. Do you think it's about robbing or do you think it's about trying to be those heist guys from those cool movies? There's a whole thing about naming themselves after the Reservoir Dogs characters. Yes, there is. So, um, I mean, I think to me, those two elements go together. Yeah, so one, you know, but it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting commentary on the limited scope mm. of, you know, what one conceives of as a transformative experience, that in fact, it is uh, uh, revolving around money. So for example, you know, if they just kind of wanted to have an experience like that, you know, they could have done it in a million other, they could have robbed something for the sake of robbing, yeah? So actually, I think the money is a factor in all of this. It mm. is a kind of a get-rich-quick scheme. Uh, scheme. Um, mm. You know, the fact you're constantly told that the book is worth $12 million, right? Mm. So I think yeah, the money... Well, there's that question of imagining what will you do with the money. That's right. So the money's central, uh, you know, and, and actually it's it's it's... Yeah, so, so there's a thing about rebellion, right? There's a thing about crime, you know, like if, you're, if, you, if you read On the Road and so on, like, you know, those 1950s kind of, you know, rebel uh, books, you know, kind of, they're always on the road. They're always, they're always involved in petty thefts. You know, they refuse to do what society tells them to do, right? Yeah, but actually kind of, you know, being anti 
uh, America's success narrative is partly what they stand for. Mm. So I think this is very much also about the money. Is it's almost like the only, you know, the only thing that people can conceive of as transforming their life is actually money and getting it quick enough so that actually you enjoy it young enough so that it does transform your life. Mm. Having said that, um, when they when the question comes up of what will you do with the money, there's basically no answer given. Yes. It's not a question that the film wants to answer, not a question that it lets them answer or that they even seem to want to. The one time that they that they talk in a, to any extent about what they would do with the money is when uh, uh, Warren basically says, I want to go and be on a boat in the Caribbean like... Uh, Red and Andy from Shawshank Redemption. Yes, you know. So again, it's it's it sort of living his fantasy of a, of a film mm. thing. Um, that's that's it. But there's actually it's so it is kind of it, it's about the act of the taking. It's not about what how that will transform my life after that. I think. Well, they haven't thought that through very much, but the money is crucial. You know, yeah. because for so for example, but it is in, it is the act I think rather than well, the, but no, I want to make a distinction because for example, the the whole beginning of the Thomas Crown affair, you know, is actually you know him robbing the museum, mm. right, and nobody being aware. So that's the act, you know, yeah. that's the thrill of it is the robbery, you know. But in this film, it's not about that. So for example, they could have you know taken the books and returned them. No, they want the books, they want the money. Yes, but I, uh, no, no, I, I get that, but I think. But it's the fact that the film pays so little attention. It, it brings up that question of what will what will we do after, and then drops it. Yes. Um, that I I think is important because actually what it's what it gets at is it is the thrill of the act. But it, in this case, it's not even the thrill of the act. It's the thrill of imagining the act. Because actually, when it gets real, it gets very dark, cool. and they do not want to do it. it particularly the the whole thing about incapacitating the librarian. That they, none of them wants to do that and Warren very reluctantly says okay I'm going to be the one to do it when well, everyone else turns it down and then he doesn't want to do it well it's clear you and know the, the way that the film tells us you know that none of these that they're just kids yeah. and you know that none of them actually are hard enough or have the mentality or you know to, to actually carry the thing forward and it's the momentum really that kind of makes them carry the thing forward. Yeah. But actually I think I still think it's very significant that this is the thing that they imagine. Yeah. I, I you know, I appreciate that. Like it is different to going to, you know, to seven eleven and robbing some sweets. Clearly. It's or, the magnitude of what they're robbing is or, part of or it. Or to go to Skid Row and set up a soup kitchen, you know, which, you know, could be dangerous and transformative. Yeah, like yeah. there's a million things one can do. You know, to kind of you know, transform one's life that yeah. that involve danger and risk and whatever. So you know, I think I think the fact that this is a robbery and that it is about money to me is important. Yeah, no, absolutely, I'm agreeing <clears throat> with you. But like I say, I think the subtlety is that one, when it gets real, the thrill goes. Yeah, no, I yeah, well, I agree with uh, you. And, and they are, and once when it get, when it gets real, and they are stuck in the middle of this, in screwing up this heist, um, they. No one is enjoying it. No, but on the other hand, if you remember, it happens twice. So they screw it up the first time, mm -hmm. and they return the next day to do it because Warren makes it happen. Yeah, well, because you have the whole thing of when when they, when they leave, having said we're going to abort this because there's more librarians and we can't do this. Um, Spencer, he, the, the 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 real life Spencer, in his in his memory, thinking back, says it was such a relief and such a thrill to have got out of there having done nothing wrong. Yes, and he's forced back into it by Warren, as are the other two. Well, yes, but you know, but yes and no. I, I'm trying to make a point here because yeah. the thing is, 
that they try it once. And so I don't want to absolve them of it, yeah. right? Because I don't want to just say, you know, then kind of circumstances took over because there's an element of, of, of not only, um, so in legal terms, they planned it, right? <laughs> you know, so I was premeditated. And, you know, part of the sign of that is that they did it once and it didn't work. And, you know, they all returned the next day. Now, yes, one person is shown to be kind of the leader or whatever, but, you know, everybody else turned up, mm-hmm. you know. So, uh, uh, and, I, and I, I just kind of want to underline that because I do think that it's kind of, you know, so the film is about American animals. It's about kind of American masculinity at the moment, you know, and what kind of choices uh, this country and this culture is offering these young men. And then kind of putting that intention with what these various young men feel that their choices are, you know, then I think it's very interesting because actually the choices are shown to be very limited, even in a very privileged milieu. Well, the choices are shown to be limited as far as what they imagine their choices are. That's right. Actually, yeah, actually, what, what the what the real choices that they have are is it's not really shown because everything is really shown through their eyes. Mm. Um, but you know, you for instance, as we say, Warren is on a sports scholarship. He can be making a lot of that. He's deliberately tossing it aside. That's right. Um, so he doesn't, you know. whether he sees that as an opportunity or not it's certainly something that he doesn't want to take up Um, and he talks about the entire the the scholarship and the school and the town and everything around him and his dad being a disappointment which is very kind of it's quite petulant sort of childish acting out no no I I, I actually I mean it is it is a petulant childish acting out on the other hand I think I understood it his whole life has been structured by his father Mm. so that he could get this scholarship that he doesn't even want yeah Right, so his life is rendered meaningless, you know, or he sees his life as meaningless. He's been working all his life for something he doesn't want. Yeah. You know, just because of, you know, the social convention and the history and the father's prodding. So I think that's kind of like an interesting moment in the film. There's something then that I want to pick up on, uh-huh. which I think will lead us down the right path. <laughs> the right path. Well, uh, <laughs> a, a fruitful path. Um, uh-huh. Which is what you said about. Uh, the, the, what Warren says towards the end of the film um, about you know thinking that your life's going to be special, being told that your life's going to be special, and then it's not, because that seems to me a direct reference to Fight Club, where um, Tyler Durden says more or less the same thing. He, there's a, there's a speech in the middle of it where he says something like um, you know we're told we're going to be movie stars and sports stars and mm. fuck the prom queen, but we're not, and we're yes. slowly learning that fact. There's a whole thing. And of course, one of the things that's that's complicated about Fight Club is that Tyler Durden is played by Brad Pitt in the height of his sort of sexual, yes. <laughs> sort of sexual, sexual peak, and um, and and he's the guy who sort of who Edward Norton's character wants to be. Mm. So you know that's a kind of undercurrent to, and, and that and and that whole film is about American masculinity at the time. Again, kind of seeing a version of it, and again, it's a very white um, middle class version where people are men are feeling sort of inadequate or lied to or disappointed about what they what they thought their lives were going to be. Um, and, and I think in this film, the way it, that reference, and I think it is a reference, um, comes down to... It's, it's saying something similar, but it's also about the fact that Warren is thinking about this through a movie that he's seen. Yes. That, that is a, an icon of masculinity of the time. Yes. Well, I, I mean, there's no question that all of these young men's desires are mediated. 
Yeah, you know, and they're and they're particularly mediated through movies. Mm. And actually, I so so again to go back to the limits or how limited their wishes and desires are. You know, that's also my point, really. Yeah. You know, that kind of yeah. Well, one of the arguments about about uh, movies, one of the arguments that the Frankfurt School kind of used to make is that you you know mass culture, uh, you know, tells you what you want, and then it offers to you, but it kind of you know, so that you feel you live in the best of all possible worlds. But actually, the, the, what it offers you, the wants that it creates, are very limited. And they're, only lim- they're very limited to only those which the society can offer. Now, what this one presents is, A, you know, the creation of a very limited uh, uh, set of wants, but then it also shows the society that can't fulfill them. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right? So, you know, there's a breakdown in that. Uh, so I think the movie references throughout the film are very interesting ones because, mm. you know, a lot of them are about heist. There's the Kubrick film. There's the reference to Tarantino. Uh, you know, we see the shelf of videos, uh, Reefy Fee and the Thomas Crown Affair and, mm-hmm. you know, all of the famous heist films. Right. So, so really it is all about kind of transforming your life by stealing Right by kind of creating the perfect heist in which you can run away with the money in which no one gets caught. Um, but so you know, it's kind of it, it. It is a critique of American culture and American masculinity that those sets are so limited. Um, and and I just want to bring up two points that mm-hmm. then you know you can run off with. One of the things that struck me was the whole um, uh, uh, beginning sequence with the fraternities, right? The hazing. So the hazing, and basically it all revolves around drinking and, you know, pretending to give blowjobs to other men by drinking beer through, you know, a funnel in, in their crotch and things like that, right? So, you know, there's, there's that uh, um, whole aspect to the film. And then the other one is that we don't see any of these young men with women, right? So the women are all like their mothers or the main character is really the librarian, which is... Mm. You know, so so this is also in some ways, you know, a film about, you know, like male friendship and male rituals and yeah, male identity. But again, um, you know, very interestingly and very unusually, I think in American cinema, divorce from sex. Mm. Yeah, like I, yeah, there's no. Yeah, well, these guys aren't having it. They're they're not having any. Yeah. As far as, as but also they don't wish for any. It's not like uh, in their minds or dreams, or you don't see any of it really. Well, the one that you can imagine having some sex is the uh, the rich one, the, the 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 guy who works out and all that, um, who's brought in basically because he has money. Yeah. Um, but uh, but it's not something that the film brings up at all. You see, but the point is that he's the only one you can imagine. Like it's it's not really a part of the other one's lives. They are um, sort of. You know, like classic modern male shut-ins nerds yes. guys who hang out on playstations with that said they i mean they're kind of you, i mean you don't see any of that either to be fair i guess they have a, you know they're watching all those dvds but um you know the the spencer's an artist and he sits at home and paints yeah and you see a lot of his work and he's very good yes <laughs> um so there, there's a which is not quite some like that's a, that's a productive thing you know, which is not exactly something that you'd associate with that image of sterile sort of masculinity. He's doing something, yes. and he has some aspiration. Yes. Um, creatively. Um, yeah. 
But you're right. There's no. I mean, it, it, um, another point of reference I think is the social network, which I think is also particularly echoed in the the the, the fitness character. He's rowing, mm. which is which is a like really iconic thing from social network. Because you've got the Winklevosses, the who are Olympic rowers, um, and 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 there's a whole thing about he's he's the entrepreneur, which again the social network was all about these guys at Harvard making money for themselves and trading mm. on stocks and stuff. And I think it's echoed in him. Um, and the, and in social network, the, the there is a, there is a little bit of sex where they they get uh, blowjobs in the bathroom when they realise that Facebook's becoming kind of popular on campus. Um, and apart from that, women again really aren't in that film. It's about these clashes between men and and, and well, boys really kind of this thing about young boys having lots of money. But in the um, social network, I think you know there is a lot of there are uh, more women. But well, it's about how there's they're more exclu- women, but there's it's about women. how they're excluded. There's, yeah, that, yeah. there's that one line where they're assigning jobs to everyone. They're saying you'll do this and you'll do that, and you'll get five percent, and you'll get ten percent. No, no, but the and then the girls are there going, "Can we do anything?" And he goes, "No." But the point is that a lot of the social network is driven by a desire for sex. They're not getting any. They wanted, hmm. you know, kind of the whole thing about designing Facebook is actually, you know, about sex in a way. Yeah. So the thing is that in this film, it doesn't even come up as an issue. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they never even say, oh, I want to fuck or you're nothing, yeah. right? Like, so, which is very unusual when you're talking about 20-year-olds, 20-year-old yeah, yeah. young men talking with each other, right? So I just thought that, you know, that this is a very interesting facet about the film. It makes it very unusual for me. You don't even see them watching porn, which you would think that would be the other, the other <laughs> side of it. Like, the one, the one side of it is that we're not talking to women, but then that would be faced up by the fact that we're watching porn all the time. Yes. And... And, but there's none of that either. Like, there's really no sex drive in these guys. No, there isn't. Yeah. You know, so it really is. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a desire for transformation, for change. Yeah, and the only opportunity for transformation and change that these young men can imagine is is robbing, mm. which I, I do think is interesting. I think, and there's a lot of robbing and different types of robbing in the film. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, the thing about transformation, while it's there, is more, it, it's, it's slightly really expressed through lip service, like people talk about it, but as far as it's expressed through, through action, um, I'm not quite convinced because I, I think it is about boredom and doing something to kind of break out of that boredom and, and try and transgress um, the 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 rules that seem that have been put in place for them, well, that kind of thing. But as far as kind of transforming themselves in a you know f- in a long term way, like I say, I, it feels like lip service to me in the film rather than something that is really really um, carried through, yeah. something that really matters to them. I don't know. I I mean, I kind of. So, so let me just say how I felt through most of the film, yeah. you know, uh, to begin with, because I, I think, you know, I didn't find the film, um, I'd heard very good things about it. I mean, not through having read any reviews or anything, but just, you know, from Twitter and so on, you got the feeling that this is going to be like an extraordinary film. I didn't find it to be so, no. right? And there was a period in which I was, I was really quite bored, really. I kind mm. of, um, uh, and, and kind of wanting it to end. You know, and then when you get to the sentencing, I thought, oh my God, they got—they actually did the seven years. That's so harsh, 
Yeah, because, <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, they robbed some books and then, you know, they only robbed a few and, you know, they didn't and even they, sell they, it. They seemed pretty repentant. Or at least and three they seemed very repentant. So I thought, my God, what a harsh sentence, you know, mm. uh, um, especially considering, that you know, white cops killing black people get off the hook or rapists get off the hook, you know. So I've stolen a couple of books in the library and, you know, even though they were very valuable and to get such a harsh sentence. And to have done what they did to the librarian, to be fair, that was quite hard. Uh, that was quite hard, uh, but you know they didn't threaten her life. They right? They, well, they may have done. I mean, they did attack her with a taser, and they don't. You okay. don't know, well, we didn't but, see that, right? So I, th- I yeah, thought, he, yeah, he did. You saw him go in her neck with a taser. No, the threatening, the life. Oh, as in, as in, like verbally threatening. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So you know, her life. No, they didn't. From do what that. we saw, was never at risk or anything. You know, so so I thought the sentencing was harsh, right? And then you get the uh, wrap up at the end. Where you know they tell you you know uh, the this film was actually written by one of the four people, right? And then the other person is studying to be a filmmaker, and the other person is a fitness instructor in LA, you know. And then you get to the artist, right? And I thought so. Basically, actually, that robbery did transform everybody's life in the way that they wanted to. Like at least one of them got a movie out of it. Really? Yeah. Well, it's, 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 it's speaking about that particularly. It is the the, the 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 manuscript, a manuscript called American Animals, a memoir, is shown on the desk of that character. But the the writer credited for the film is um, uh, Bart Layton, the director. Okay. Well, maybe so I don't know about actually. So maybe he only got a book out of it. The implication is that one of them wrote a book of which this is the film, right? And the other one is studying to be a filmmaker and. You know, and I just, it kind of changed my view of the film because in a way, so on the one hand, there's a whole critique of this, right, of, uh, you know, people who want an easy fix and, you know, who want like instant money and celebrity and so on. And really, on the other hand, the film says, well, yes, now these characters have spent seven years in jail or whatever, you know, but kind of, you know, they are now in this other world, you know, which is not a terrible world, you know. Mm. And actually one very close to celebrity and filmmaking and, you know. Do you think the film is self-regarding? I do. Um, I think it's, it's very consciously playing on Reservoir Dogs as an iconic heist movie. An iconic heist movie about clashes of masculinity and portraying a kind of mas- American masculinity of the time. Mm. And this is uh, kind of parodying or pastiching that. T- t- basically taking, that was what, 1990, 1991, 92, um, Reservoir Dogs... And kind of with, with the characters, you know, use it like saying they're, they're Mr. Mr. Pink, Mr. Yellow, Mr. Mm. Green, Mr. Something else, um, Mr. Black. Um, and of course, they say like we don't need these names because the whole point in Reservoir Dogs was that they didn't know each other's names, and that's yes. what kept them from sharing their names. So, so there's a they are they are playing basically playing uh, sort of dress up. Yes. <laughs> um, but I think the film is kind of it's it is quite consciously trying to be an update in a way to like to say that was an American masculinity back then and this is an American masculinity now and which I think is fine but then the the sort of implication of and that film is a classic and so will this film be yes well I think it's trying to do and some people have been receiving it as such um, but you know a, I think no cigar. It doesn't to me. It doesn't live up to any of that. And I think the major fault in that 
is that you don't get a kind of a complex representation of who these young men are. Mm. Like, there's no yearning in any of them for anything. Like, you know, so you get the sense that they're kind of a bit dweeby and, you know, like, in their basement doing their mm. thing. For, you know, for one, it's art. For the other one, it's chess or whatever. But actually, you don't get a sense of, of a yearning of, 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 you know, what what would they like their lives to be, really, if they could have control over that yeah. But I think that is kind of the point. I think that's actually one of the more interesting things about the film, that they are there's a going through the motions aspect. Um, I mean, if you think about uh, the way that people go to university these days, they do it on... Like, university used to be the thing that you might do after school if you were very smart or very privileged um, or, or kind of saw the value in it. And these days, it's the thing you do next that everyone does. And you go there, and it's basically a three-year holiday camp where you drink mm. um, for a lot of people. And, and so these days there's like a more going through the motions thing about university where it's just, it's just the next stage. Um, and that's kind of where these guys are in a way. Although it's slightly different in America because debt is so much worse than it is here. Nonetheless, everyone kind of ends up taking it on. Um, but but that doesn't... The fact that, the, the fact that there is no uh, aspiration in, in the... Well, but in, to, me, in some to, me, to me that shows a kind of a lack of understanding in the part of the filmmakers of what it is to be human. Because to say that you don't want to be at universities, for example, we know that one of the young men, his father has planned his whole life for him. His father has structured his whole youth so that he could win a scholarship to go to university. And that's not what he wants, right? Mm. But what does he want? Well, exactly. What does he long for? But, but the, the, that, the, like, that, I think, is, is the, the... It can't the, be nothing. What you, so, you know... But I don't know. I mean, that is, that is kind of what actually rings kind of true to me. Well, I don't... It doesn't ring true to me. I mean, you know, and it, it shows a lack of understanding because we all yearn for something. We all, you know, even, even if you're stuck in your basement and you don't know what to do with your life and you're playing video games all day long, you know, I, uh, to me that speaks of wanting something else that maybe you, you feel you can't have that you might actually very well construct for yourself, you know, but to show kind of all of these young men without any real desire for anything um, and, and actually it's not it's the suggestion is not that they don't have anything they're not suicidal no, or no, no. you know it's actually just the film is not showing it to you and I think that's a problem I, I see I don't think it is I think it's actually like I say it rings true to me as a portrayal of, of what young guys in, in this in their sort of situation how they feel like they even though they have things on a plate for them and they have all these things they could be doing, they don't feel it and they don't care. And probably the more that, that things are laid out for them, the less they want to take part in it because they, 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 it's this kind of natural rebellion aspect to that, which you see in, in Warren you know, throwing the, the scholarship away. Um, like, I, I get what you mean. Like, pe- people kind of want things, but even if they do, not, how, not, they don't know how to express them and they are talk- going through the motions. I'm not even talking about things... You know, no, no, I don't I, mean things material, but I mean you know, something in I, their life. I just don't believe that. I think you know, uh, you know. First of all, Which I can't, I think I can't imagine. I can't imagine young men not wanting sex. So you know, that's a drive. You know, and then a kind of you know, everybody finds an outlet in something, like in music or you know, I, there, there's always a kind of you know something that people want. You know, and. Uh, uh, um, you know, people are complex and they have very different kinds of desires and, and wants, you know, and, and the film kind of shows none of that. 
So it's one thing to say that, you know, you are in this university and it's not your choice and really kind of you don't want to be doing it. But what else would you like to be doing? But I think it's not about yeah. not wanting anything. It's about not knowing what they want or not knowing how to express it, which is why they end up just acting out, doing this robbery that also they don't really want. Yeah. I think that's what it is. They don't really want it because once it becomes real, they realise that this... Even though they carry on with it because there's, there's momentum and what else are they going to do, they there's this frustration. But they... Um, they they don't really want it. Like it has become real all of a sudden, and the thing that they were playing with is is no longer fun, no longer kind of entertaining or or or, or a kind of a diversion. Mm. Um, I, I, I like I said. I think I think that I think that not accepting the I I think it's a premise the film is putting out that they are in a position where they, they don't know what they want or they don't know how to express what they want and they are acting out. And I think it, not accepting that that is possibly true of a lot of people is just... It's like a clash between you and the film rather than the film failing. Well, I think it's, I think it's, it's the film failing. You know, so, for example, we get the Barry Keon character. You know, we, we get to see that... You know, he wants to be an artist and he keeps drawing and he keeps drawing things. And at the end, you know, he draws the bird, right? So, you know, he wants to be an artist and there, there is something that he wants to express and that he's expressing and that, you know, so he's got kind of like an inner life. So, so there's kind of like a desire that clashes with, you know, that which we see him doing, which, you know, you get the feeling that he's kind of, you know, um, drawn to. And actually, one of the things that I think the film could have um, shown better, it tells you, but it could have shown better, because you get the feeling that actually what these boys enjoy the most was, is actually the kind of the camaraderie. So, you know, they say they don't even like some of the people, but they call them in, and then they're spending all of these hours. And so, you know, one of the things that struck me was when you see the model of the library, right? Like mm. how much work and care and, yeah. Yeah, and the pleasure in all of that and the pleasure in sharing all of that. Yeah, you know. So I think kind of the film to me is 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 unsatisfactory in that it ascribes, you know, a, a, a shallowness to these young men that I think is not quite there. That, you know, well, the, I, I just can't conceive of people that way. Well, so that's me. The um the the model is interesting. Um, the, the model is clearly um built by Barry Keown's character. Um, and uh, and also as you said, a lot of care's gone into it. And he's saying, you know, don't don't touch. Mm. Um, when when Warren, uh, you know, is trying to move things around in it, and um, and there is a very clear undercurrent. Well, it's not even an undercurrent. It's really it's just what is what Barry's, Barry Keown's character is is very very reluctant. Mm. All throughout, he he really is in Warren's wake. You know, being being carried along by him. Yeah. He's not the one making any of these decisions, and he's the one who's who you, you know uh, is thrilled when when the heist doesn't come off the first time. Yes, um, and 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 he's and he seems to be the one with the, with the most kind of real aspiration and the most idea of actually what he wants to do with his life as well with 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 his art. I think the uh, characters are not very well defined or drawn out. So on the one hand, you're also told like that basically there are two two slackers and two real keynotes. So you know the slacker is the athlete. And then the Barry Keon character is meant to be someone who smokes grass all the time. 
you know, but actually you're told that, mm. but you don't see him acting that way. And actually, I don't even think you see him doing I don't think it, you, see, I didn't really you know, so, you know, and then the other two... I didn't think of him as a stoner in the film. Well, he's meant to be, you, yeah. you know. So, I mean, that's, I think that's part of the problem. Anyway, we're probably kind of losing uh, sight of the forest for the trees, really. Well, maybe, maybe not. I mean, like I said, I think... I, 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 I didn't really like the film when I was watching it. Yes, I, I, really, I, I, I didn't. Um, and there was a long section where I, I was getting pretty bored, when the, the initial kind of playfulness of the form... Um, it ran its course very, very quickly, um, and I and I, I it felt like it, it wore off to me, and and the stuff about bringing in the the real people to tell sort of sides mm. of the story, and the and then the the actors playing the the drama, and also the, the um the stuff about about truth and different versions of the story, I felt was completely pointless, and I yeah. didn't really like it at all, mm. and it felt very like that is the, that was so superficial, and I really think it is, mm. um so that wore off very very quickly, and it was once they got to to the the heist the second time um and like i say kind of shit got real and and it really dropped all of the frivolity um because you know you notice how like when they do the heist the second time yes. uh, and they actually get to uh, uh, attacking the librarian and that um all of that playfulness goes hmm. it is played purely straight yes. um because which is a great decision because that would have just ruined it um and i think w- so I was getting very, very bored until it dropped this, the act. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, but, but all that to say that while I really didn't enjoy the film while I was watching it and I got kind of grumpy, um, I, th- I think, you know, it, in talking about it, I think it is portraying an observation of young masculinity, young white privileged masculinity that I think, although you, although you disagree with it because you just can't conceive of people being that way, I think a lot of people actually are. That's what the film is portraying. Okay, well, we have a difference of, of opinion on that. Um, and actually, you know, my, my, my thought is, I wonder if the director had been making a film about, you know, four young men in Essex or whatever, if he would have conceived of them as so unidimensional. You know, um... I, I, uh, it, it's it's kind of an issue that I'm increasingly kind of remarking uh, on films that are set uh, uh, in North America that I think there's not enough insight into um, you know what young men's lives might be in Lexington, Kentucky. Um, there's a version of this film that is better on all of that. There is a version of this film that is better because, mm. I, and like I say, I think the, the the frivolity and the playing around with 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 memory and history, I think, just get rid of that and concentrate on the other stuff because the other stuff is a lot better. And, and there's an interesting which, story. It's very here. easy to say that, but you know what I mean. Well, no, but I agree with you. I mean, I think there's an interesting story here, and I think actually the formal games and trying to make it more interesting by changing the point, the point of view, by kind of putting into play the fictional world, you know, with the real characters. I think it kind of, there are things that actually detract yes. rather than enhance uh, the story. So I agree. Um, I think there's very much that. One more thing. What did you make of the music? The use of the music, um, the soundtrack? There's, well, there's two that I, there's three uh, instances that I remember. There's, there's the opening where the music, it's, where it's that, it's that, 
uh, very weird sort of montage opening. You've got the close-ups from the Audubon book, and you've got the upside-down footage, and the music's kind of going. Dum, dum, dum. There's mm. some. It's it's it's. I don't remember exactly what it is, but it's kind of you. You notice the music, mm. um, and and it's it's making it's basically making you ask like, what the hell is this? You know, what am I seeing? Um, which I, I what can I say other than I like that? Like I liked the way it was creating something really sort of the openness of possibility of what the film was going to be mm. I enjoyed um, then there was the the oceans type montage where they were imagining the heist mm. and it was set to Elvis that that was, conversation. That I think was, was it the Junkie XL remix I can't remember I don't know but, but it, um, a little less conversation a little less conversation which was great and it was like it was that perfect expression of this is exactly what we would imagine our lives being in the perfect yes. world sort of thing um, and, and them imagining themselves in a movie basically um, and then the other one was the song at the end when they were all getting arrested, the sort of arrest montage. And that was um, Leonard Cohen, I think. Was it? I, well, there's there's a there's a Leonard Cohen song, you know, near the end. It might be okay. that. I'm not sure. I, I, I don't uh, remember. Um, Leonard Cohen, "Who by Fire." Would that be it? Probably. There was also, I'm not. I don't know the song. Yeah. But um, it, 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 there was a kind of soulful. Yes. Roofulness. <laughs> well, you see, for me, like the songs that I recognize, I mean, I recognize Jim Morrison's voice. So there was a Door song, there was a Leonard Cohen song, Peace Frog, the Door song. Um, you know, there was an Elvis song. And I thought, how bizarre to have all of these songs, you know, from the 60s. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you know, um, like n- not even <laughs> like a, a contemporary track of some kind, or maybe something. You know that uh, something that these kids like to listen to. I mean, I think I, there, were, there were songs kind of from the time as well that they uh, just, they were, like you, you got snatches of on the radio, sort of rap. I mean, that's quite interesting, I suppose. The kind of the, sort of um, the hip hop. I think there was NWA and Ice Cube and things, um, okay. which, which I suppose a little bit before their time still, but because this was set in two thousand and three, two thousand and four. Um, but there, there is that kind of uh, not not cultural appropriation, but just sort of aspiration of. Well, rap is has this kind of aspirational thing of of, of get, working your way through your music out of mm. a bad situation into a better one. Um, but also that thing of like, so there's that aspect, and also white middle class kids listening to rap mm. by you know, underprivileged black people um, has has a kind of. It, I mean, it's very common, um, but th- it, it has an element of sort of. Like 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 aspiring to be kind of worse off than you are in a way, like this like well, like, like this cachet aspiring in that. to be bad and you know to be transgressive and to be rich, <laughs> but there's like cachet in sort of like like they they are in positions of privilege where they have opportunities and they have their lives basically sorted out for them. They have families that are for the most part together and they have dinner with their parents every night and and listening to rap which portrays a world in which that is fractured. And not guaranteed, um, you know, so to sort of imagine yourself in that world uh, gives you kind of cashy, like you're in a good place and you want to imagine yourself in a worse place because. Do you, do you see what I mean? I see what you mean, but I, again, I don't agree with you. I think you're missing the attractions of that world, which is, you know, one of danger, you know, um, but also one of. Of wealth and celebrity and you know and self-expression, so I can see the desire for it. I understand the desire for it amongst 
you know, kind of America's white middle class as it's a thing. Kind of, yeah, but there's like a living vicariously thing of like these guys, these guys' music is all about building themselves out of, of where they were, working their way out of where they were, and then showing off the great wealth and girls sure. and everything they've 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 uh, obtained through yes. it. And so the living vicariously is is we kind of already have basically that we've never well, had to work for that. We've had it given to us because that's just the way we no, are. No, no, no. But it's, and, come on, it's very different to. You know, to 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 be a middle class kid at university, which is you know a, a, a comparative privilege, or you know to be um, you know as as wealthy as Beyonce or something, you know. Yeah, but I'll be wrong. Well, yeah, this was two thousand three, though. I mean, this was not quite of that sort of ultimate superstardom at this point. Like, I, I think I think there is a thing of. Like wanting to live vicariously through someone who has achieved, sure. Whereas you haven't. You just you had it given to you. And it's like you feels well. I think with music, disappointing to have just had it already. The music that people are attracted to, or the music that they feel expresses them mm. in ways that they can't articulate for themselves. So you know, uh, and and those are complex things. Yeah. You know, so. Some things are things that you might not be able to do, but that you want, and yeah. you know, and so on and so forth. And I think the the wealth and the celebrity and the rebelliousness and you know, kind of, I mean, these are basically good kids that we see in this film, right? The you know, the film goes out of its way to show you that, really. Mm. Um, so, so I can, and and what they want is precisely that sense of excitement and danger and you know, with a big payoff at the end. So so it makes sense. But actually, I must say, I didn't notice that music. You well, know? I, don't, I didn't recognise any songs in particular, but there are snatches that you hear them listening on the radio. Right. I mean, when they're, when they're in... Uh, when they're sort of pissed off... Or, no, 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 sorry, it's before the first heist. It's when they're very nervous mm. and the one puts on the, on the radio and something comes on. I don't remember what it was, but it was hip-hop. And, right. um, and then the other turns it off because he's just like, fuck, man, we need to concentrate. <laughs> right. But, um, but like I, mean, I, said, I, think, I think the thing about music is, like, it's not about expressing who they are, but expressing something they would like to be. Rather like the movies, imagining themselves in a different situation. Mm. I think, for me, the problem is that all of the boys are a cliché. All of the young men are a cliché. They're not given complex enough in their lives. You know, so basically, you have, yeah, the two slackers. One who just doesn't want to be an athlete. You know, the other one who kind of wants to be an artist, right, but is it's not really, you know, a go-getter. Mm. You know, and then you have the, the yuppie jock, and then you have, like, you know, the guy who's studying accountancy who's a great chess player, right? Like, um, yeah, that's it, really. Um, yeah, they're, they're, they are one-line characters. That's right, you know. So, so... Which makes this playing of, you know, this uh, the real person versus the fictional person, kind of redundant because you, you know you're given so little insight into who they are, that you know whatever you can make of like the contrast between the real and the fictional are, is like spurious really, um, and mm. and you know in relation to the music, it's just what maybe it's just what I noticed you know, was sixties music, yeah. and I just thought that's it's weird. I mean, to have chosen one song, you know, that might be very meaningful and play well with the scene is one thing, but to have chosen so many songs makes it seem, you know, part of a pattern that made me think why, 
Yeah. yeah, I guess in a way that sort of that seemed interesting to me. It seemed like something I recognised in a way as well. Because I sort of remember um, when, when I was their age, um, I didn't really give a fuck about new music, and I still don't. But but I would listen. I would listen to some, and I would listen to the kind of music that I that I'd listened to from sort of five or ten years ago when I was a teenager growing up. Um, but also, I'd listen to I would listen to a lot of sixties and seventies music, and it, it, I know it's actually the cliche to me in in a in a teen movie, which this has elements of. The cliche to me is that the film dates itself by playing music of the time right. and saying like these kids are just listening to the latest popular track that you've heard that is available on CD, mm. <laughs> and actually, it like that they that they might be listening to classics or older music was really realistic to me. Right. Um, like, like kids kids who grew up in the 90s saying, you know, music was better in the 70s, man, as if they were there, and as if actually it was, because all it is is that they've just heard the hits, and the hits I mean, always sound better. I think there's a thing here about, you know, uh, them being familiar with their parents' music, you know. Anyway, I just thought to make it consistently 60s music seems kind of odd, that's all. Mm. You know, because, I mean, even if you listen to old music, you know, you could have a, a track from the 40s or 50s or, you know, 70s. But, like, to have these key songs that are overlaid, yes, because it's not, they're not incidental. They overlay scenes, these songs. Mm. Yeah, and to have them all be 60s, I just found. Yeah. Odd and uh, interesting, but odd. Odd in the sense that I can't quite find the answer to my question of why. Yeah, you know. yeah. Um, it's an interesting one. <laughs> Anyway, we should wrap it up. I think we've been talking for quite a long time. Yeah, so a film that I didn't really particularly enjoy in the cinema and I think has a lot of problems and I think is boring for a long time because it's just... I think it concentrates on doing the wrong thing for a long time. Yes. But some of the stuff underneath and some of the stuff that comes out in, in, the, in the portrayal of what young men's lives are like these days and what their inner lives might be like, their aspirations or, or their lack thereof was interesting to me and has, and has come out through discussion. <laughs> <laughs> well, for me, it's, it's a film that I can see being praised for uh, being formally experimental. Uh, and actually, I think all of those things that it's being praised for, that it might be, be praised for, are actually uh, something that to me is a problem in the film that it's like a trick. Mm. It's like, you know, you're showing off your goods or your skills, but actually kind of you're not making very much with them. Uh, it's so, not as clever as it thinks it is in that respect. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of, you know, it's obviously kind of skilled uh, in, in, and, and imaginative in wanting to do these things, but actually kind of what it does with them is rather banal. Uh, so, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, and like all films with American in the title, it kind of feels like it wants to be important. Yes. <laughs> Every film that's American something. Well, it's kind of... It is definitely making a statement about American masculinity. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's a very... But it's just that self-regard aspect. Yeah, it's it? not a very complex statement that it's making. No, um, probably not. I don't think. So... But um, I suppose it speaks to its time in a way, and I think that's interesting. Mm. In, a, in a way that I think the films that it's referencing also spoke to their time in a way. You know, Fight Club spoke to its time in that late, late 90s, that, that middle-class, white-collar, 
repressed masculinity. Well, but interestingly, um, Fight Club, A, was not a success, and it got very, very mixed reviews. And, you know, I think it's a great film. Uh, this is nowhere near that standard, really. Uh, and so, you know, kind of, whether it does speak for its time or not, I mean, we'll see kind of what kind of a box office it, it gets and, you know, what kind of an afterlife it kind of uh, um, uh, evolves. I, I suspect there won't be much of one. Um, no, you can see it being, you can see people taking it to heart. Though. I mean, it, it, I suppose another thing, that I, something that I wanted to bring up, actually, which I'm glad you sort of reminded me, is that, which we've talked about kind of obliquely is the, is that the film the films that American Animals is referencing are very much those kind of staples of twenty and thirty something white guys yes. kind of classics. Yeah, you know, so Tarantino is referenced all throughout, and Fight Club, and um, The Matrix. He talked about Red or Blue Pill and Ocean's yes. Eleven, um, which are you know these are all like if you if you see lists of you know like white guys recommending movies, it's like oh have you seen Fight Club? It's really yes. good. Yes. <laughs> you know, as if no one's seen it. Um, and this film sort of sits amongst them, I think. I can imagine it becoming one of them. Yes. I can imagine people in sort of 10 years going, you know, this is film American Animals, it's fucking great. But they would all be white guys saying that. I, I don't even imagine that. <laughs> I think the film is not um, enjoyable enough, actually, uh, no, no. you know, for, for it to become that kind of film. But I think the formal stuff will, is, is a, as you say, it's kind of a trick. It will kind of hoodwink people into thinking it's better than it is. Yes. I think... or, or seeing the wrong side of it. Like I say, the other side of it, the other stuff is interesting. And the, the stuff that is try, is like screaming for your attention is not as good. Mm. But that's what I think would sort of hoodwink you. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I do know what you mean. I'm just having a quick look at the box office. Um... I don't know its budget. I, I, I'm, who knows what the budget was? I imagine very, very cheap. But um, domestic total so far is two point eight million dollars, which is very little. Yes, it is. Um, it's a it's a it's a film for co-production. So yeah. one would imagine it didn't cost a, a huge amount. But um, no, I would imagine just just from that that its budget would be around five or six million. Mm. Um, yeah, so this box office is around two point eight to three point two million at the minute. It looks like, um, but it's it's early doors, right? It's only just come out, but it is destined to be sort of a smaller release. Like it's from Sundance, isn't it? Well, yes. that's where it had its premiere. That's it. I think it's the reviews in Sundance that made it get the kind of national release that we're seeing here at the moment. All right, it, yes. it would have been more limited otherwise, do you reckon? Yes, I mean my understanding, just you know, br- briefly from when I was looking at the credits, is. That it made a huge impression at Sundance. Actually, I must say, um, I've just checked the, the release date. The release date here is September the seventh, which it's it's the tenth now. So it's yeah. been out here for three days. But back in the uh, back in June, it was released in the states. June first. Right. So, so in the states, it's probably not playing anymore. Yeah, um, it's already had its release. So actually, part of the release here might be some kind of quota about British films. Well, I mean, who? Look, well, I, I it. With a film that is smaller and less likely to get a big audience, like it, you can see it having a more staggered release. The kind of film that plays an art circuit would, does have a more staggered release, rather than you know, like Avengers is never going to be released in one country that here and then two, three months later in another country. No, no, I. So no, the staggered release thing I get. Yeah. You know, but I think it's just very interesting that this film is being released in the world. It's not being you know we have we didn't see it at some little art house cinema. It's, it's, oh, I see what it's, you mean. 
So that's where, you think that, that's where you think there might be a quota aspect. Yes. Of like, we've, got to, we've got to play a certain number of British films. Maybe, yes. maybe not. I don't know. Maybe, uh, they just, maybe they just thought there's, there's a bit of an audience for this, you know? And, and also, the, it, it has had good press, and so that will have boosted people's, boosted yes. the kind of company's optimism. Yes. Um, um, anyway, I'm very glad we saw it. Yeah, yeah, so am I. Uh, um, and, yeah, I, I, I think... I think it is worth seeing, actually. Oh, yeah, um, so I think it's really worth seeing, that's yes. for sure. It's an interesting movie. Yes, it's a very interesting film, uh, uh, even though, you know, I've voiced nothing but criticisms, I'd still recommend it, but we'll go see it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. All right, so uh, we are eavesdropping at the movies, uh, and you can catch us on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, WordPress... Facebook, Twitter... Please like, share, and subscribe. All of that stuff that we're supposed to say. Yes, thank you very much. Bye-bye. <laughs> okay, good.